Please turn in your New Testaments to John 9, 4. John 9, 4. Just one verse this morning before we come to the table and, and eat with Jesus. These are the words of Jesus of Nazareth. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is still day. Night is coming when no man can work. Lord, we pray that you would open our ears and our eyes and our hearts, our souls, all that is within us to this grace that works your works. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, for the first time, I'm going to preach my life verse that I chose in 1985 when I began seminary here in Jackson, Mississippi. Um, I preached on through John 9 and 10. Next week we're going to get to I am the resurrection and the life and Jesus and how he deals with Martha and Mary and the raising of Lazarus, but just taking a little pastoral privilege to kind of scoot back to John 9 for my life verse and and I'd like, to, um, I'd like to preach it by first giving you my personal history with Jesus Christ, my personal testimony. When I was 14 and a half, I said goodbye to God. I was raised in a modern theology, a, that's what I mean by liberal, a, a liberal uh, Presbyterian church. And I was taught at a very early age and consistently taught in the church of my upbringing that Jesus died on the cross, Jesus of Nazareth died on the cross primarily as a symbol, as the ultimate example of sacrificial love. Now, you don't have to die on the cross like Jesus. I was told nobody was like him before or since, but if you will love people sacrificially, keeping your eyes focused on the symbol of the cross. If you will love people sacrificially, and if you will be try to be a good person, then God will accept you. You see what's wrong with that? That's pure works theology. But I'm going to tell you something, folks. I took that very seriously as a child. And... In case you don't know, there are young people in this church right now that are taking what we say and what we teach much more seriously than you and I ever imagined. And I took it very seriously. And, uh, you know, as, as I was growing up, I'm still this way, and I was that, this way as a child. I, I have always been a very philosophical and a very spiritually oriented child and, and, and a very spiritually oriented kind of person, and I was very devout in my church, very devout with what I was taught, what I relayed to you a moment ago, and I was taught more than that. And on into my teen years, I was extremely serious. I was like the president of my youth group kind of thing, you know? And when the, the pressures and temptation of my teen years came along, I was incredibly focused on 
not caving in to what my friends were getting into, remaining steadfast to be that good person. I was that person that would go find the person that wasn't fitting in well and try to love them. And um, at age 14 and a half, my dad died of leukemia. And um, my sister, Betsy, and I did not know that he had cancer. And I'm not mad with my mom, by the way, because my dad didn't want us to know that he had five years to live, and he didn't want us to feel obligated. He was six foot four and a half, and it just didn't look like he was getting sick. And while, you know, while we're, you know, living life with him, and uh, the, the day he left our house, I'll never forget it, the day he left our house, got in the car with my mother and went to Tallahassee Memorial Hospital, Quincy, Florida, 21 miles west where I'm from. Went to Tallahassee, the last time I've ever seen him. We, we live in an area, I was raised in an area, we don't have open caskets in the funeral, at least the Presbyterians don't. Last time I ever saw my daddy, he got in a car and went to the hospital, and three weeks later, uh, he was dead. And it utterly destroyed me because I was very close with my dad I was so angry with God I can't even convey to you how angry with God I was I was angry with God of course because he quote killed my dad and I was angry with God also Because I had taken that teaching seriously in my church that if I just was good, if I just loved people sacrificially, if I just turned away from temptation, I would be accepted and loved by God and it didn't work. I held up my end of the bargain and God did not. And I will never forget, I can see it in my mind as clear as day right now, the day of my dad's funeral. That late afternoon when we got back from my dad's funeral, I went into the bathroom, I locked the door, and I stood in front of the the big mirror because I wanted to witness the moment. I wanted to see my eyes and my face and my mouth when I said goodbye to God forever. I remember exactly what I looked like in that mirror as a 14 and a half year old when I said, I held up my end of the bargain. You did not. I'm gone. In fact, I hope you don't exist. Because if you do, you're a lying monster. And that was that. And for the next five years, I was the prodigal. And my heart was aching so badly. And I poured everything I could find onto it to try to find a little peace. And to try to find a little meaning or maybe just an escape. And that not only included substances, but that included a jet tour through world religions and a, and a comparative religion course. 
at college. And none of them were helpful. None of them were helpful. And do you know why? Because they were all works. It was it was just another version of what failed me. You know, transactional, this transactional religion where you give God something, He gives you something. You, you're good, you love people, and He accepts you, and He blesses you, and makes your life good. God's up here, we're down here, and you, you gotta do something, you know, to get to God. It's all transactional. I had already experienced the bitterness and the gall and the failure of transactional religion. It didn't matter what it was called, And I mean all of them were essentially underneath theme and variation of the theme. No, thank you very much. And yet I could not become an atheist either because I knew that there was... I told you I was philosophical, I warned you. I knew that murder was wrong. I I knew that there was a universal right and wrong. And I just couldn't listen to my agnostic friends who said it's all a matter of opinion. Because there had to be something above that just was, or murder wouldn't be universally wrong, etc. So there I was. The best way I could describe that period of time from age 14 and a half to 19 and a half is one five-year uninterrupted scream of pain. That's the only way I can describe it. Took me years to put that definition on it. Now I'm at Auburn University and these born-again Christians irritate me so bad. They're taking an interest in me and they liked me even though I kind of persecuted them. And, and eventually they were very, very loving and courageous to risk their relationship with me. By giving me the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I had never heard it or at least been in a position in my heart or soul to be able to hear it in an effective way in my entire life. And um, this was something new. It took me a long time to, for God to call me and bring me to life and then, so I could accept the the gospel. But this was something new. And you know why it was new? Because it wasn't transactional. I could not believe that God was giving this thing away after all of the failure that I had experienced. You're telling me I do nothing. You're telling me I bring nothing to this equation except for my sin. You're telling me that someone has done everything necessary on my behalf for me to have a relationship with God. You're telling me God is holy, and I knew that because I knew murder was universally wrong and there was a universal standard out there somewhere. So I I instinctively knew that if there was a God, He was holy. You're telling me God is holy. You're telling me we have a bent towards sin and selfishness. I got that down. And we can't barter our way into a, a relationship with God where He fully accepts us as a holy God. And so God did it all for us. And I won't go into the details right now because it's a much longer story than we've got time for me to tell. But I do remember when I actually realized why Jesus died on the cross. And I mean I realized it personally. 
And I realized that God was both holy and not a monster. Both holy and love for the first time. And I realized and embraced my sinfulness in a real way for the first time. And I wept in brokenness before a holy God who loved me. And I saw that I needed what Christ had done on the cross. And y'all, it wasn't, I think I'm going to think about this for a few months. I ran to this gift, this sheer grace that God held out to me. And it was like the door of heaven opened to me through the cross. And I walked right through it, receiving what he had done for me, receiving Christ into my life to be the Lord of my life. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm a junior and a half by now, and it caused a stir in my fraternity. It's kind of like, you know, those poor people, it's kind of like maybe some folks thought about Saul of Tarsus, that great enemy of the church when, when he turned to Jesus. I mean, the big question at the Sigma Alpha Epsilon house in Auburn University is, dude, is this for real? Dude, is this for real? Oh, yes. My forgiveness was real. My joy, my relief was real. And I knew I had begun a brand new life with Christ. I could not get over it. It was like I woke up out of some long dream or nightmare or something. But I woke up into real life. And it was all about grace. No I'm not tempted by works religion for salvation at all. I saw the incredible greatness of my sin and the the greatness of of the cross. And, And here's the big point of why I just told you all that. I rejected works because works failed me. I rejected works. And it was all of grace. But once I had the love and security and the reality of who I was as a brand new person in Christ and forgiven and loved by God, I wanted to work on His behalf in His kingdom. I rejected works for grace, only for grace to lead me into the most wonderful works of grace. And so, now you understand, when I, when I came across this verse in John 9, I, I wanted my life to be about this verse. And, and I am re-challenged every time I read it, and certainly this week. And here it is again. We must, we must work the works of Him who sent me while it is yet day. Night is coming when no man can work. So let me quickly tell you, a few points about this verse and ask you to take it on a test drive, maybe to be your life verse too. The works that we are to do are with Jesus and they are for Jesus. They're with Jesus and they're for Jesus. They're with Jesus. We must work the works of Him who sent me. Jesus is saying we He sent me, and we 
This is with Jesus. We must work the works of him who sent me. This passage comes out of John 9, and if you want to hear the whole story, go on our website or on our podcast and just listen to the the sermon about the man who was born blind, the man that Jesus healed, uh, gave sight to, who had never had sight in his whole life. Not only did he gain sight, but he believed and he gained salvation. One of the points made in that sermon was we don't know his name because his name is your name. I was blind. I was born blind. I was born unable to see the grace of God. I was born tilted toward works. And, and God opened my eyes. I was blind, but now I see. But it was right before Jesus opened this man's eyes and, and, and saved this man's soul that he said these words. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is yet day. Night is coming when no man can work. We must do this. And I love this idea of the partnership that we have with Christ in the works of Christ. Now, this is not just works. It's not just any works. This is, do you see the phrase? It's so cool. Working the works. What's that mean? We must work the works. That means we must give ourselves to the works of ministry. The one that Jesus had. We work the works of grace. By grace, we work the works of grace for other people, for the kingdom of God, for for love and mercy and redemption in this world. This is working the works. It's how Jesus makes contact with people in this world. Now, the verse right after my life verse is, is John 9, 5. And Jesus said this right before he healed that man. He said... This, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. How long was Jesus in the world? 33 years. How long was Jesus in the world? You know, roughly as uh, when he said this, something a little short of three years. Not a long time. And this is the point. Now we are shining the light while we are in the world. You and I get to do this with Jesus. In his stead, Matthew 5, 16, and, and I don't know if you've ever struggled with the idea of works in Matthew 5, 16, and you'll get it in a second. You'll remember it when I, when I quote it to you, but now you, I think you'll get it. It's working the works. Matthew 5, 16, Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that they may see what? Your good works and glorify your Father. Who is in heaven. This is a ministry we share with Jesus. And the good news for us. If you want to work the works with me. And I don't always work the works. But if you like to work the works with me. The good news is this is God's work. Before it's your work. And the good news is that God empowers his work. That he gives us. And then I began to see. As a brand new Christian. How fun this can be if we all do this together. Then I begin to see that this wasn't just about evangelism and discipleship. This was about using these beautiful spiritual gifts 
that God has given every single one of us gifts of the Holy Spirit. And using the, the talents that, that He has, has given us in this beautiful and dear and loving, living organism that is called the church. Working the works together with Jesus, with one another. We must work the works of Him who sent me, Jesus said. So we, we do this with Jesus. It's, it's His works. Secondly, we do it for Jesus. The grace of Jesus secures us spiritually. We have a position with Christ that can never be taken away. The, the grace of Jesus gives us peace. The grace of Jesus gives us rest and comfort. But the grace of Jesus was meant to change us and, and to grow more and more into the likeness of Jesus. And a big part of that change in our life simply is why people are so bored and depressed today. called purpose. It's what people don't have a lot of in 2018. He changes us in one of the ways He changes our lives and literally what our lives look like is He gives us purpose. We get to work the works. We work the works with Jesus because we are sent by Jesus. We must work the works of Him who sent me and then in John 20, 21, we read these famous words of Jesus. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so also send I you. Isn't that wonderful? This is not just with Jesus. This is for him. We are sent by Jesus to inhabit this space on this planet at this moment with this light of the gospel of freedom and grace to be able to work the works of ministry in his place. This is how people experience Jesus of Nazareth in reality this day. And he empowered us by sending the Holy Spirit. You will receive power, Acts 1-8, when the Spirit comes upon you. And what will happen when the Spirit comes upon you? You'll work the works. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is big stuff. And this is a precious trust given to me and to you by Jesus Christ to be sent to, to do the work work the works of grace for him. And finally, the other thing that just leapt off the page to me and still does to this day is the urgency in this verse. We must work the works, Jesus says, while there's still a little bit of time because time runs out and there's no more work in the works. It's over. God redeemed you and he put you into this great narrative of history of his grace of his church he placed you your story became his story when you came to him 
and he merged your story and his story right here in the greater Jackson area, right here for the gospel, right here with Highlands Presbyterian Church. And he has placed you into this unbelievable narrative for only a short amount of time. And the question is, how will you spend your life? How will you spend your life? You have a place in the history of grace. Let me say that again. If you know Jesus because you've received what he's done for you, instead of all this works stuff, you have a place in this story, in the history of grace. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is still day. For night is coming when no man can work. No one can work. Night is coming. What does that mean? It means death is coming. It means dead men don't wear plaid and they don't do the work the works. You have to be from the 80s to understand what I just said. <laughs> All you children can ask your parents later. What is dead men don't wear plaid? It was a movie by Steve Martin. Night is coming. When you die, you can't work the works of grace. And the second coming is coming. And when the second coming comes, it equals no more works of grace. It wraps it all up. But right now, y'all, right now in, in, a, in a community that needs Christ, right now it is still day. It is still day. And your salvation is not by works. But you could give yourself in this grace to work the works of Christ. And it's urgent. Urgent. Paul said in Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, Look carefully then in how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And Jesus would add, and they are short. You have a limited time in this world. And there's so much to be done for Christ. If you put your trust in Jesus, please recognize that somebody reached out to you. Somebody's working the works. What a humbling thing to realize. Somebody risked a relationship with you by, by telling you you were a sinner. And that's why the gospel is so hard. It's like, okay, we've got to start with you're a sinner. And we get to do this together. So, what does your life of grace look like? Do you want it to be productive? That's what the Greek word work means there. It means productivity. Do you want your life to be fruitful for the kingdom? Productive? Could I just say to you in southern SEC colloquialism, get in the game! Get off the couch! Get in the game. God's going to let you be a part of like running a few series of plays in history in this whole thing. And you're going to sit on the couch. It's what you were made for. Find your place in the history of grace. We must work the works of Him who sent me while it is still day. Night is coming when no one can work. One day... If you know him, 
One day you will enter your rest. Prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. Today is not that day. (laughs) Don't rest in that, I mean, rest in the gospel so you can work the works. Let me close. You know what I mean by the phrase, a good tired? A good tired. Let me explain that. Some of y'all are like, what is a good tired? I thought tired was bad. No, a good tired is when you're doing something meaningful in your life and you give it all you have. And when you go to bed, you feel great about the expenditure of all your energy on those things. Because being tired is not something that we enjoy, right? But a good tired is a good thing because you spent yourself for something good. Jesus might say this maybe this way. We need to leave this world with a good tired. You can't work your way. The works don't work for salvation. But salvation not by works in relationship with the Son of God empowered by the Holy Spirit. Salvation not by works leads you and me to work the works while it's still day. Night is coming when no man can work. What about you? Let's go to this table this morning to celebrate the fact that it's not my works. It's just done. This is my body given for you. This is my blood shed for you. It is finished. Let's ask Him while we're having fellowship with Him in real time at the table as we commune with Him. Let's ask Him to just have a burst of love for Him and a burst of gospel purpose to work the works with each other and with Him. Let's pray. Lord, would You show us that it is all of grace. Thank You that this table is exactly that message. And thank You that one day we will eat it anew with You. Jesus, You said, I will not drink again this fruit of the vine until I drink it anew with You in my Father's kingdom. Lord, you have given us this table to remind us of what salvation is. And would you use it this morning to remind us of how salvation looks in a life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.